Welcome aboard. Oh. Got all we got film buff Matthew Scully on the show. <laughs> Joining Hi, us in the fun on talking about our favorite moments from the action sci-fi horror franchise that is Phantasm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh so as we were talking off air, there's just like so many different movies and shows that like we know there's a fan base for, but not everyone talks about. Well, and you know what? Phantasm, I don't think got as much respect as it deserved until honestly maybe the last 10 years yeah like everybody absolutely. suddenly rediscovered it right at the end mm-hmm. um, although i think there's and i think there's plenty of people who don't know that it exists past two movies yeah and uh so what was your intro to this personally like i i saw part four airing all the time on sci-fi <laughs> i was like what is that i've heard of that and lo and behold uh later 2010s i think part one was on youtube and i just couldn't get into it but don't worry i rectified it i i went back <laughs> i went back well, um for me it's part two um but not the movie um Back in the eight, I'm a kid in the eighties, and uh, my parents are not taking me to see any R-rated movies. That's yeah, I'm the same happen. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that means that when the commercials on TV come up for the new Freddy movie or the new Jason movie, I am <laughs> dropping everything and watching that thing. Right. Uh, it's so annoying too when everyone else had no parental supervision. You know, yeah. obviously, it's also dumb too when you would see people saying, "Oh, they must not be good parents." I'm like. You're gonna see them modified on some place somewhere anyway. I mean, it doesn't mean they still obviously have restrictions on what they do or don't do, you know, in their household. They're just saying, "Hey, I'm not." <laughs> you well, can watch whatever. Whole, I don't care. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. Modified. We're uh, we get a new Freddy movie every year or two. We get a new Jason. We really movie do. Oh yeah, remakes. I see these commercials for something called Phantasm Two, and I'm thinking, how did I miss Phantasm One? Surely right, that only came out a couple of years ago, right? It hits in the seventies, and that one was the a decade later in the eighties. So yeah. yeah, but Halloween time—that's uh, when you're, you know, exactly what you're talking about. You'll see a modified version. You'll see mm-hmm. the cut to death versions. AMC um, is even funnier how they'll show any kind of thing from Universal kind of movies to AVP to the worst Hellraiser of all time, Revelations. <laughs> <laughs> Which should just be rated R just for how, again, mentally unstable it is. Sorry to be not so PC. <laughs> no, actually, I, I could get into a whole discussion just about that as well. Hellraiser movies are one of my favorite <laughs> Um And they had, the, they had the good fortune of actually having a couple of people shepherding them during mm-hmm. the, uh, the wilderness years in direct-to-video. Uh, unlike, say, Children of the Corn. Uh, <laughs> yes. Going the same route in Dimension at that time. Oh, but, you'll um, love the How Not to Make a Movie podcast, which has the Tells from the Crypt <laughs> guys. And they talked about how they wrote part two just to make a buck. And they're like, yeah, we are to blame for this movie's elongated <laughs> popularity, if you will. <laughs> but after seeing all the, the commercials for Phantasm 2, when Midnight Movies decided to show uh, Phantasm 1 yeah, uh, at, around Halloween time, I'm jumping right in there. And um and once you get past the very seventies air. Yeah. <laughs> and in nineteen eighty eight, nineteen eighty nine, that's that's a tough thing for, you know, a fourteen year old to get past. But 
but there's just something about it. There is something about this um, traditional Gothic horror, and I mean the actual real definition of Gothic, uh, mm-hmm. like a isolated location with melodrama and horror elements. Absolutely. Um, and do you and think it's in the same universe as Evil Dead? Everyone likes to have that argument because <laughs> of the Sam Raimi logo. Oh, <laughs> uh, hadn't even occurred to me. Sam Raimi makes a, his name makes a, a sneaky appearance in part two. Yeah. Yeah. But then this thing takes a wild shift in the third act into very 70s sci-fi. That stark, white, minimalist, very dystopian. Mm-hmm. How do you, it, I can't think of another film or series that manages to reconcile those two. You know, how do you mix Victor Hugo and Arthur C. Clarke? Phantasm <laughs> basically does that. Right. <laughs> so it was, it, it was enough. It made, it made just a huge impression. And it really was. Yeah. It really, it's just something so unique and so interesting. And then, you know, a few years later, I get to the atmosphere is perfect. Uh, podcasting after dark joke that this is literally the template for this show, Supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that, although really, you don't get that until part two. Part two is where we're going to get into the road movie yeah. and into the monster hunter. Mm-hmm. Part one is really different. Um, Don Coscarelli actually made two movies before that. Yep. Um, and they're they're not kids movies, but they're movies about kids. Yeah. And uh, um, you can find Kenny and Company here and there. Uh, it's that last Halloween of adolescence, and but yeah, then before that is right. Jim's World's Greatest, which is a really weird drama. But the interesting <laughs> thing is, if you put that those three together, those two with Phantasm, there's a spiritual trilogy there. Really is childhood yeah. innocence and growing up, and then there's even the the theory about in Phantasm, did it happen? Yeah, did uh, that even go the on? Dream world, or is that yeah. Only in his mind, him coping with his brother getting married and mm-hmm. moving away or dying or what? I mean, we ending the dream stuff really allowed them just more time to just kind of determine. Uh, their loose storyline. <laughs> they mm-hmm. could retcon a few things. Well, yeah, especially when you consider um, they're they're basically filming this on weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, Coscarelli would rent the the camera on Friday, and if you do it then, well, they don't know if you've returned it that day, so you get all weekend to use it, uh, with, and return it on Sunday, and no more rental fees, and then the rest of the week you just edit. Right. So, and doing that for a year or two, <laughs> just, it's amazing that it hangs together so well. And there's still so much of that, so much footage they shot that's never seen the light of day. Yeah. Uh, we, we still kind of want to see it, but it, it'll be a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's, that's my introduction to it. That, Absolutely. Uh, um, that's a good point. Um, uh, uh, and it's funny how you mentioned the dream scenes because those are kind of where some of the funniest stuff happens. Uh, and uh, 
how big of a badass is Reggie, really? Because you know you got Reggie. Mike played by a Michael Baldwin and uh, uh, what's his name from James Legros. Yeah, James Legros, respectively. Um, I think Legros is the best performer, but and to Baldwin's credit, he does get better. I think as it goes on, it's just a real rough transition. But uh, it, it, they have different motivations. Um, yeah, Baldwin is a victim. Baldwin is full of PSTD. And Legro is proactive. He's mm-hmm. trying to go out and hunt. But no, Reggie is the unsung horror star, horror action star. I want nothing more than to see um, Reggie and Ash uh, together um, in a movie. Because those two, it's the same embodiment of that that action hero who's not meant to be an action hero, but they sort of turn into that, uh, yeah. facing these un- unbelievable odds. There's so Inevitable. much similarity there. And Reggie, so much is the star of this series. He, again, he's not supposed to be, but he absolutely is. He is absolutely the MVP. He is, he's who I want to see more and more of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... And I've heard some rumors that uh, the actor Reggie Bannister is not doing so hot. Uh, no, uh, he's not. They came out and flat out said um, he's got some. He's uh, suffering from some. It's wild how it went in waves, though, because I've seen people talk about it. Hey, I just went to a a convention, heard about it, and I was like, I can't see that anywhere, but it's there. But yeah, yeah, they announced it on his page about a year. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, some of the best are just leaving us, but yeah, I can't deny just how impactful he is just in this role. Like, this role was meant for him, by all means. Yeah, uh, so Reggie, you know, he comes up with all the weapons, all the game plans. He he pretty much puts the macho in him, but he's like one side of Ash Williams in a way. <laughs> yeah. It, it looks like Bruce Willis. Yeah. They feel very similar. It's why I just I, I'm dying to see them together. But you know, too, that all the weapon stuff, all the road trip stuff, a lot of the stuff that we really think of as fundamental phantasm, that's all starting in part two. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important too. And and one of the nice things is he was such a regular on the convention scene. I had to run into him five times, and one of the nicest guys. Yeah, uh, Reggie is just a godsend, and he's helped out so many other independent films. He'll, he'll gladly appear in those, even if they're lacking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although he's fun to watch in other stuff as well, um, watching him pop in in Baba Hotep or in Wishmaster. Right? Oh my god, yeah. I uh, when, when he appears there, it is kind of a fun kind of connection to that in Evil Dead in a way. <laughs> Malone Maniac Cop. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I'd forgotten that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, but yeah. him Absolutely. and Ted Raimi's deaths are hysterical in that, whereas, and uh, as well as Robert England has seen The Wishmaster mm-hmm. Killed Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, absolutely, um, Absolutely. Um, I, I just love the intro that even Rocky makes mm. in part three and five, but like in part three, 
it, like it's just so cool seeing this gal who has street smarts and can do kung fu and mm. <laughs> she just comes on all in they're like who the hell is this badass <laughs> <laughs> and in one of the naughtier moments that's in reggie's head it's so funny when she goes up to him and says you're so big i'll let everyone else's mind put the details together but it's funny <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, Reggie is pretty much, he's not trying to be macho, but I think they say that he has like a a military just survival instinct background. (laughs) It's funny how you made the Wishmaster connection, because you do wonder how he would handle any other kind of just demonic force. (laughs) Because with this, they're basically kind of, I always, the tall man has so many great things, but I love it when they reveal more about his backstory in part four, because you kind of get uh, just kind of shades of like cigarette smoking man in X-Files. This guy just has no shame about his various destruction of humanity and mm-hmm. throwing his spears at everybody and having all other kinds of people in disguise that change form and playing psychological games. <laughs> Why are these guys so freaky throughout all five movies? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, and that's the thing. I still don't understand what he is. Well, yeah, we, we never really do. I see people have been saying, oh, they're aliens in disguise. I'm like, but Really? Who are they, really? Boy? <laughs> There's also, what could he be? Yeah. Because, you know, we talk about, we can talk about the movies, but, yeah, I still don't know. Five films later, I still don't know what he is. And, uh, but the ambiguity is part of what the series is built on. But there's also the question of what could he be? I like that. And even when we describe how what he used to be, we don't know that that you know, where his persona took change, how he had a change of heart, how he obtained all this alien technology. <laughs> right, and I'm not certain that that, um, that that old man, that Jebediah Morningside, who we meet in part four in Oblivion, is even the same thing, or if it's just something wearing his face. So true. It doesn't feel like a cop-out like other ones where it's like, okay, but really, why? <laughs> there is... um. There's a couple of um, scripts uh, for Phantasm movies, legitimate scripts, legitimate films. They never got made. Well, one of them kind of did. One of them didn't. But Roger Avery, who um, of Pulp Fiction. Yes. He wrote mm-hmm. one that it's, it goes by a bunch of different names. Phantasm's End is the one I usually go with because the other ones have dates. Kind of like how Dead Easy was a Tales of the Crypt script before it became From Dust Till Dawn for Tarantino. <laughs> Well, this is this was written as a phantasm script. And oh, okay. He theorizes that the tall man was part of the machines to the extent mm. where there's literally a face um, with tentacles, grow- very Borg-like, let's say, growing That's into nice. the one of the machines, and um, by the end of the movie. It's latched on to someone else. Oh, kind of like a parasite, kind of. I don't know if you have any video. Um, yeah, no, that that's cool. Okay. That wow. is, that's straight out of the script. That is cool. Man, so for those who can't see it, it's it's like a demon that's kind of in an orb. <laughs> yeah, and it giant web as yeah, just kind of growing into it. Um, now that's abandoned, of course. They 
we unfortunately get, yeah like a multiverse there's every version of him possibly and maybe they've ganged up maybe it's sort of a uh what marvel was trying to do with kang the conqueror maybe, right maybe something about the dimensional fork him discovering other dimensions change you kind of get that with dr strange as well as kind of dr who in a way where just mm. people have all these different I mean, it's kind of like a Star Trek mirror universe, but then it's mixed, like you say, with all these other dimensions. And uh, it definitely feels like something you'd see in a full moon kind of thing, too, like trancers. <laughs> but it's impossible to know. Yeah. They've kept it pretty bottled up, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, what are some other highlights that you think just make this the franchise that it is obviously the saga is violent enough so you don't really see it getting aired too much on regular tv <laughs> it is but there's so much that's left to your imagination as well uh there's some that's true too it's not as over the top as other franchises where you're like yeah this is too schlocky you know it's like no it's the right kind of over the top imagination even in part two where they have the budget to show the gore mm -hmm. they would rather go into the fantastic yeah it's not trying to be morbid for the sake of it it's just kind of just trying to take you along for a just zany journey <laughs> and it really is we get the big thing about phantasm and i think more than most other horror franchises or even a lot of franchises in general especially starting right around part three yeah. You have to understand the point of these movies, the point of the direct-to-video ones that you that nobody's ever heard of. Mm -hmm. These are a family reunion. It really is. It this went is... to like Japan and like video, and then mm -hmm. had like limited releases in Germany and the U.S. But it, it had to be continued in some capacity because Part Two was just never going to be enough. No, I, it probably wasn't. But I mean, it's really it's just it's an excuse. To hang out with Reggie and Angus and even Mike and Bill coming back. And Don's there too. He, he yeah. on screen, but you feel him in every minute of the movie. And that's what the that's what these movies are about. It's about getting together with old friends. Friendships, yes. The, it's <laughs> driving around the block in the car. It really is 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. And that car is every bit as much of a character in these movies as any of the people. I right. am not a car guy, but I can pick that Cuda out of a lineup. It's so true. And just the on the run, always looking over their shoulders just adds to both the suspense and the character building without. I mean, it, it is just as good as, say, something like a Terminator movie, where it's like every moment counts. Even if yeah. it's just them crashing at their broken-down hotel in the middle of the desert. <laughs> well, it's. I think that still comes back to the reunion part. You are invested in these people, in these mm -hmm. characters. But not just yep. in these characters, in these people. Absolutely. It never feels contrived or repetitive, even. It, it's not like Ripley coming back. Uh, yeah, yeah in aliens where it's like okay you know what i i like sigourney weaver but you have no business being in this no this is yeah why are you here <laughs> this is absolutely these people's story mm -hmm. 
And even when we get to two where it's not Michael Baldwin playing Mike, it's still that character. It's still yeah. the kid that you um you just want you want to ride along. And it helps like Evil Dead that they actually wanted to do this with their friends. It was a reunion behind the scenes too, to yeah. to your earlier point. And I like how they get their third friend also who picks them up every once in a while. I like how in part four, he, uh, cut open. <laughs> nope. We're still here. We're still here. Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, do you remember the scene in part four where he's like in the morgue, he's trying, he's playing some tricks on tall man while he's getting his head almost sliced open. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and how everyone oozes yellow blood too, I think also is kind of freaky in a way. It's not scary, scary, but it's cool in that it just reminds you that uh, these guys are not human <laughs> before we were doing stuff like, I don't know, body snatchers and men in black. <laughs> There is a lot of this that you can you can chalk up to the cool factor, um, and again. That oh wait, hold up. Okay, hold on. Okay, never mind. It's still recording. I'm just sorry. I, I'm I'm overthinking this. Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Um, and some of it's the car for the car guys. Some of it's the gun. I mean that that four barrel shotgun is just yeah. That it is iconic. It should not work here, but it really does. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where it's like even okay I don't want to see Reggie without the skullet <laughs> he looks yeah. better in part two but it's not Reggie yeah with the yeah when he gets to the ponytail it's just something about his it adds to his fearlessness that anybody can do courageous things it, it is Matt Smith wearing a bow tie it is just it's part of who he is yeah and who better to wear that than him <laughs> uh but yeah no the very good points uh even the music is just so key in these just because they instead of going a synth wave or a i don't know just a bizarre piano they kind of go for more just kind of other different alternative themes mm. Well, and the music similar to Hellraiser, similar to other things, but it's its own character in and of itself. I don't ever feel like they felt the need to ape anything music-wise. No, they don't. And you know what? When you talk about music, music is a part of this. It's a part of who Reggie is. You need it. Yeah. It's a part of who uh, Jody was. Um, if anybody who is a musician looks at those two, just playing around scatting around on the porch in the first movie and you get it because it's it's an it's a language it's instant connection it's cinematic language uh these are the kinds of movies they're not gonna even teach in film school because people are prejudiced against certain action and sci-fi and horror movies and it's like yeah but this is imaginative <laughs> yeah there's well there's always been so much more going on in this than what's just on the screen you feel like you're part of a much bigger world i think a uh, much bigger mythos yeah and, I, and the middle school stuff adds to a bigger less is more i think it's interesting too because i i talked about that um that screenplay that roger avery created 
and it's a multi-million dollar screenplay. Uh, Coscarelli mm-hmm. was never going to be able to raise the money for it. No. But the future that Avery posits there, he came up with a kind of Mad Max um, post-apocalyptic future where half yes. of the country <laughs> is cordoned off, full of plagued people. And um, mm-hmm. But that Phantasm's end future, even though they could never make that script, it's still where they ended up. Yeah. We get hints of it in Oblivion. And we get it this... full on in Ravager. Oh, yeah. The opening of Part 5 is awesome where they're on the... Uh, it opens up with a giant, like, a mixture of a chase scene and just <laughs> shooting back at each other. <laughs> Part 5, I have... I have watched that at least a dozen times. I have not gotten tired of it yet. Um, you can see um, the background on Part 5. It, it, everybody has heard this. It was imagined as a web series. So you kind of see yeah. the episodic choppiness of it. And mm-hmm. because of that, we kind of get a, some pacing problems in the middle. I think We, we do. I need a little bit of time between the tall man's initial offer to Reggie, uh, his temptation of Reggie, and his demanding an answer. I don't think I get enough time there. I agree. Plus, the horse massacre doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. It just kind of makes you go, that looks fake. What's that doing there? Um, but yeah, Well, <laughs> I get that, but that was such a happy accident because they discovered while they were on site that, well, I've got this horse that really likes to just get down and roll around <laughs> and they're like okay we're gonna use that that's that, wild <laughs> that is classic don coscarelli um yeah like even in part three where we get the weird reggie's rescuing mike from the laser trap whatever those were fun too like see much like the dimension surfing in part three and four it's fun that now they're instead of surfing through each other's minds and Again, playing mind games with the tall men. Now they're envisioning the future. They're seeing future versions of themselves. They'll always be friends. And they're like, we still got one last battle. And yeah, having to do laser traps with these robotic space pods. Even that, even like the laser traps in part three, that, that's just a happy accident. There was somebody shooting a rock video next door. Like, can we borrow that oh, wow. for 10 minutes? And there you go. They did. And the part two finale is just so wild because not only is it a mixture of, you know, chainsaw, you know, sword play, but also almost Jackie Chan level, you know, kicking, fighting. <laughs> yeah. But I really. Part one's kind of more of a slow build followed by a chase. But yeah, when you have part two having the whole on the road, on the road, and then finally fighting back in the last 40 minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah. I really do love Ravager. I. I ravager i do too a lot of people give it shit because it's low budget but i think that adds to the appeal honestly (laughs) it does and i don't think i don't think everybody understands it um i think there's that i think we're in the fandom stages where with every other franchise where people go that's not my version of that person so i reject and i'm always been under the babylon 5 impression if that's what the creator intended then who am i to say that's not how it ends yeah and that's real this is this is you can tell a difference here. between them making stuff up versus <laughs> <Yeah>. intended. <laughs> and 
this is one where the creator has firm control. Don Coscarelli never gave away the rights. He never sold away the rights. All no, he never sold his soul. He never took off and then said, screw it. I actually want back. My career's tanking. He's like, no, he, he went at this when he decided he was ready to tell it. <laughs> but Ravager has an impossible task. It's to end that series. Yeah. Because like Evil Dead, they keep ending it, but then people say, oh, we want more. It's like, well, mm. I just ended it. <laughs> but it's not just that. It's to end it and still keep the tradition of an open ending, a cliffhanger ending. Yes. But yeah. the thing that Ravager has that none of the others have, um, yeah, we've got that cliffhanger ending, and it's quite a cliffhanger. But mm -hmm. I feel resolution for the first time. Yeah, a sense of satisfaction, especially the makeup job on A. Michael Baldwin is actually not bad as Mikey, where he's just like, you'll always be my friend. Mm. There is a, there and a seeing the future self of him, how he's actually become a wise man, kind of telling people stories in a retirement home is interesting, I think. I am convinced, uh, and honestly, I'm convinced that probably two thirds of that film is all Reggie's head. It's all in his head. I think that Oh, that's true too. Yeah, what he could be, what he could be envisioning. Well, I himself. think that when yeah. he went through the doorway, when he went through the gateway in part four, I don't know how long it took, but he got captured. He got captured by the tall man, and the tall man put him in um whatever that contraption is that he wakes up in. Uh mm. in, in the future. In the that makes better sense. So the modern day stuff is likely probably happened at some point i'm not sure when but it probably right. happened. but their memories they're not happening real time the funeral mm. home stuff is being probed for information um and when we see reggie die that is the yeah. dream dying that is the flashbacks from still being hooked up to that machine finally yeah. going away that that dream has died. He has embraced the present, which is this apocalypse where he's fighting the tall man with his friends. But yeah, that's still that's still his best destiny. It, it ends. I mean, I I would love somebody to do some comic books of that era. I think they have done some comics, but they've been kind of little in between things. Yeah, you're right. Well, they should totally do a cool crossover with there, there Transfers is, and Evil Dead. Yeah. Or... There is one comic. It's uh, done by Stephen Romano. Uh, Romano. I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. George it. Romero. Son. Yeah. Um, no, it's not George Romero's son. Uh, Stephen Romano's just, he's a horror writer. Oh. Um, Okay. He did, he's I done had no a couple idea. things. He did like uh he did adaptions of um some Fulci stuff like The Beyond and like Zombie. For, oh, uh, sweet. Image. He's written several novels. Uh he did a okay, beautiful well, picture. Eye opening. So, I knew George Romero had a son who was adapting his father's unknown uh, unmade stuff, so that's cool to know there's another Romero, but no it, relation that's It's not that's... Romero, it's Romano. Uh it, Romano. It's... Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I misread it. In fact, <laughs> Sorry. He, he did something really interesting back in his younger days, uh, right around 2000-something. Uh, he mm -hmm. was living in Texas, living in Austin, keeping Austin weird. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and he got the draft house to do a 
three-day film festival of all four existing movies. Interesting. Um, called it Phantasmagoria. If you go to conventions, once in a while you'll see a DVD um, with that label on it. It's some of the interviews, it's some of the some of the in-between stuff. Reggie played a set. Uh, Angus and Don came. Reggie handed out ice cream at one point. It was amazing. And um, it sounds like it. Well, Stephen used this opportunity to really connect with Don and pitch a fifth Phantasm movie. This was How fucking Phantasm cool. forever. And it was going to try and do the whole, like, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek thing. Reset it. Yeah. A um a tangent timeline. Mm-hmm. He wrote Have a script. mirror universe while introducing other future villains and right like younger mix in the new stuff. with the old have a mentor have the old guys are now mentoring the next of ken who will fight the inevitable evil there's some of that i mean it's sequel and reboot we'll return after these messages hey it's brent pope the host of breakfast with brent pope you've seen me on some of your favorite tv shows saying things like give it up jimmy you gotta sink this putt to win on Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world, and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always, am I the winner? Yeah, not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. There you um, go. They shot it. They shot the table read of this. And they shot it against the green screen. And Don Coscarelli cannot release it. It's weird. Interesting. It falls under weird rules of it's not just a traditional table read because this is against a green screen. There's a certain amount of performance. He could still put, put together a new Phantasm film out of this. We've seen... It sounds like just the convention might have... Usually they'll have a license block if you don't have permission to record something there. But yeah, this sounds like some other personal internal conflict of interest. There's some of that how do you monetize it but it's also he's run it by um by sag after if i'm not mistaken they can't it's weird it because it's something it's a unique artifact sounds like um, they're just picking on the independent guys <laughs> there's that uh, there's that too and rocky comes back we get to see her again oh cool ashley Glory is awesome uh, just ashley all those guys are awesome Ashley Lawrence from Hellraiser Go is in this, playing Reggie's dead wife. Oh, wow. That's cool. Uh, the Lady in Lavender is there. Um, Maybe they could connect it to Pinhead. That would make better sense. 
the tall man is just working for (laughs) the Lamid configuration. (laughs) I'll tell you what, I would love, that's actually a crossover I would really like to see as well. Because there is a legitimate similarity there. Um, Same. It's a mixture of gothic mixed in with monkey's paw type predicaments. Yeah. That and cube are kind of similar. You have the eloquent monster um, and the bigger storyline behind it. But also, the tall man is stealing people, stealing souls. Um, Yeah. He's diverting people. When you die, you don't go to heaven or hell, you come to us. Mm -hmm. That's got to piss Pinhead off. Yeah. Um, that with, like that in, are alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> yes, well, much like in, um, give me a moment. In the direct-to-video sequel, Deader. Um, yes, we have uh, Winter, the character who is Pinhead's beef with him is that Winter is infringing on Hell's domain. Yeah, if anybody is infringing on Hell's domain. It's the Tall Man. That would make better sense because he has everything he can't have. And we've seen kind of Pinhead be stuck in like purgatory before, especially in part two, I think. So if anything, he's a control freak. He wants all the power. He wants all the bloodshed. He wants the pain that he gets off on. (laughs) I would honestly like to see somebody trying to escape the tall man. And the way that they've chosen to do it is by opening the lament configuration and letting them fight it out. They absolutely should. <laughs> Agreed. That, that would be a very twisted, very uh, morbid, very just stunning setup. <laughs> <laughs> very cool idea. And cool to know more information on that because... They, they kind of underreport a lot of these unmade sequels and spinoffs and reimaginings. <laughs> they do, they do. I'm so tired of people calling it a reboot, and it'll be like, it's not a reboot, technically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would honest, I would say with the modern Evil Dead and the Hellraiser remake, I'd, both of those movies, I think, could exist within their same respective universes. They're just another... They absolutely movie. could, yeah, because... Pinhead is taking so many different forms, much like the Candyman. So that that definitely makes sense. And have you read any of the Nightbreed comics that uh, match that up I with have. the Hellraiser universe? Yes, yeah, I have. I have. It's pretty neat, nifty stuff. I'll have to get you on and talk with the Barker cast guys in the future too. Absolutely, absolutely. I I the Hellraiser comics created such an incredible tapestry. Comics are our last. Avenue, really. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of why I'd like to see something like that with Phantasm. It's the only way mm-hmm. to get more. And it's the only way to really push that forward at this point. I don't know that you can recast it. I don't know that I'd want to recast it. Yeah. it With a comic, you at least have the satisfaction of I'm seeing it into my story as opposed to reading a book that's by an author who's not familiar with the material or seeing the billion sequel where everyone's makeup just is a little off, you know, and they're not into the role anymore. Cause it's been 40 years. You know? Yeah. 
And that's kind of the thing that that I run into with Phantasm. I I have such a jonesing for more. And I only have Right. Exactly. We want more, but it's sometimes we get too much and then we have to undo all the crap. It's kind of like when Arrested Development came back and then they (laughs) were like, hmm, that fourth season, not really kicking. So how about we re-edit it and we make a fifth season as both an apology and a proper return. (laughs) But maybe that's people get too excited. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the special thing about Phantasm because this the series stays consistent and it's it's not only the same character, it's the same people. It's the same actors. It's not afraid to do more z- crazy experiments, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's own two feet. And they don't always work. Um, I don't think the humor works in part three. I really don't. I think the whole middle... Yeah, fair enough. It does kind of get out there where you're like, what do you mean? <laughs> I think when I watch those those zombies that are flanking the tall men, I just look at them and like, you are not worthy of being but on the other <laughs> hand, there's so much good in it. It's what we see going on with Mike, and finally exploring right. why is it about what's it about cold that repels the tall man. We've got set pieces there that are amazing. Um, to this day, Rocky is still a big fan favorite as far as new characters go. Is so she connected. Awesome. <laughs> right. That's a good point, though, too, where it is kind of much like Evil Dead and Transformers. People forget that they are zombie movies just because it doesn't, they only have those creatures in there half the time. Yeah. Well, it's because there's so much more. Most part, it's just a survival tale. We get distracted by the balls, and you forget how little we see of the balls. Although we get some of the best ball action in part two as well, or in part three as well, we get to see them opening, yeah. opening them. We get spies uh, sentinel. We get also we get one going straight through somebody's head. It just it's we feel like we're seeing a magic act, and then some. Like, how did they make that? How did they do that? <laughs> why did they do that? And how is the ball created? Oh, why does the sausage taste so good? <laughs> <laughs> and I love. I love their descriptions, even back to the first one, where they're trying to figure out uh, take after yeah. take, and the ball is not, we, we can't get it lit right. We can't figure it out. We can't get this to work. And then suddenly somebody, a light bulb comes on somebody's head. Don't light the ball. Hmm. Light the thing behind it. What is reflecting? There you go. Yes. <laughs> it's just stuff like that. It's moments like that that make this and it's what makes you want to spend time with these people. It's what makes you want to spend time with Dom. Just hanging out right? in his movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it never becomes a matter of how much can I goof around with this whole scenario. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I said, it, it pays off. It really does. It absolutely does. And like I said, and, you know, I keep coming back to Rapture because that was an impossible... I, I can't say it enough. That was an impossible task. It was impossible to wrap this thing up, especially with no money. Even right. reading Roger Avery's script, it's not a satisfactory ending to me. Um, reading, our, 
reading about what Romano wanted to do and how he was going to reboot the sequels. Um, I get it. It's not a satisfactory ending to me. Yes. And yet Ravager... It's ambitious, though. <laughs> it is. But Ravager just... I'm good. It makes mm-hmm. me feel good. I feel like these... They're, they're driving back into a an apocalyptic city with two giant spheres floating over it. And yet I still feel like all these characters are going to be okay. I feel like I'm sending right. them off the way that I want to send them off. Mm-hmm. Good point. Cause, and much like evil dead, just the fans are just so chill. Now there's some who are radical and nitpicky and just don't get it. And just want to have just, bitch about it but most of them are pretty good at just kind of saying hey he kind of wanted to just do his own thing (laughs) well and i think with phantasm a lot of the fans never thought they were going to get it they never thought they were going to get it. yeah uh four was it it happened when it happened versus it'll never happen Mm -hmm. i think there's such the people who get it there's such a gratitude that we got anything at all and like i said the those last, it's not even 10 years, I don't think. But yeah. the way that it just had a renaissance, people suddenly realized, remember, oh, wait, you know what? I really dig this. I wonder what ever happened to that. Yeah. I would go to conventions, and um, the people running the conventions were never, underline never, capital N, never ready for Angus's line. They no. never understood how big of a deal he was. They never were prepared. They they put Tobin Bell over in a room all isolated by himself so that you and they'd have Kane Hodder separate and okay, we've got line lines on the floor marked on how to and Angus is just in a table over there except his line is going all the way through the convention hall and blocking everybody else because they didn't think he was going to be constantly busy. <laughs> you can, you could just, you could see it. You can see how much people loved him and that character, but especially loved him. Uh, that man was just, There aren't words for how class of an act um, Angus Grimm was. Uh, I remember that's him, lovely. I remember him canceling. He had to cancel on um, a Days of the Dead, and because um, he was sick, he had pneumonia, and he's a thousand years yeah. old. You know, he can't. Go. So instead, he calls up Don in the middle of the panel so that he can still participate. That's good he would talk to everybody and make you feel like like you were just the only person there. Um, I I managed, uh, I wrote him a letter and he just to see if I could get an autograph because he wasn't doing conventions. But he wrote me back. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wrote me a letter several pages back 
a couple of times. That's why people just absolutely love that name. That's cool. Because there's so many people where their managers get all prickly and it gets ugly real fast and he didn't have any of that interference. Not when, not that I'd seen. I only got to meet him face to face once. Uh, because like I said, they were never prepared for him. The, he'd have to take a break sometimes. Um, but it's just, there's, I don't think he was mucking about with a lot of that stuff anyhow, with the handlers and the managers. That's good. It's something that's gotten worse as time goes on. I think we've seen a lot more of that in the last five to ten years than we did previously. Nifty. Because you get kind of just disillusioned when you see people kind of just talking smack about each other or like you say they're complaining but they're not realizing hey that's their manager's fault not or the convention not being prepared not not their bad <laughs> yeah well and you know that's one that's one of the things about all the guys from fantastic they they talk so warmly about each other they again it's why this is a this is all about that reunion it's all about hanging out with old friends and you get that from them too Right. Special kind of rarity. The fact that it just happens oh. to be a brilliant movie series with a huge background, you know, that's that's nice too. <laughs> but marrying those two things together, I think that's a lot of what makes it so well, special. And this is why we can keep using it as an example of how to make a proper franchise. Yeah, uh, built so. on cult fandom, built on people messing with tools in their backyards and local inhabitants. I mean, and I like how they film it in a lot of these obscure states, you know, they, and you look at it more closely. It's like, yeah, this could be a random Utah, Oklahoma or Wisconsin type you know, it setting. Really is. It Just is. any kind of southern small town where there is no police, there is no help coming there is no safe passage there is no safe area to kind of hang out and lay low because mm -hmm. danger and peril finds them at every turn and that's really what i, I think that relates to a lot of people too yeah i, I think a lot of people see right that that's, <laughs> that's the that could be the town right next to me all these little towns that have such that could be next door yeah <laughs> it could be the nearest inner city or suburbs <laughs> You're unaware of. <laughs> well, oh, this know, has been a delight having you on here. Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, hey, you were going to say something. I mean, Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, Good job. Okay. <laughs> no, I was going to say, but it also, it's one of those things where um, when you do see them in a big city or something like that, it makes a big difference too. When you see the decaying cities and the stuff in Oblivion and mm -hmm. Ravager. That makes a bigger impression because we've moved from those small towns to the big city. We've moved on right. to the big show. And uh, you suddenly realize just how vast and big this is. Special kind of 
rare way to just build suspense. And I don't think you can do it today. Not that there's anything politically incorrect or anything awful. It's just standards have changed. People would probably just now want, you know, sci-fi and action and horror. Unfortunately, at that point, they're kind of like comedy. Everyone wants all their rib jokes and they want them now. There's there's that, but there's also I I don't know if there's any room right now in current Hollywood for a yeah. big budget thinking man's kind of movie like that. I mean, um, we see some of it here and there. We see Mike Flanagan do kind of a gothic horror mystery. We see Neil Blomkamp do something that's kind of a tribute to cyberpunkish and supernatural terror movies that we might have grown up seeing in the. 80s and 90s and now we're seeing other people kind of do their own thing so i do hope that imagination just keeps circling around and it yeah. doesn't have to be just christopher nolan does some crazy sound mixing the market keeps changing and that's that's just that's true yeah that's what it is and the... one minute they want this the next minute they hate that they reject it interesting <laughs> Uh, this has been a delight having you on here. Is there anything you'd like to promote anyway? Um, honestly, I don't have any projects on the pipeline right now. I wish I did. <laughs> um, that's just the way it is right now. Um, no, but no, it's, all good. It's, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it was great to meet you and have you on here. Yeah. We know you'll, we'll have you back on numerous other times. <laughs> well, I, I absolutely hope so. Like I said, you know, catch me on short notice, and that's probably your best way of getting to me. <laughs> sure thing. And I, and I do apologize for flaking the last time. I looked at my uh, calendar and didn't even realize that. No, that's all good, dude. I was still trying to figure out my old crazy schedule, too. No, but absolutely keep in touch. Uh, let me know, and um, I'll be happy to have him come back. And I promise. Talk any of these things. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll keep updating you too. And yep, that's good to you. <laughs> yep. You too. It was great to talk to you. Doug the fan theories, Doug the dissect of what this really means from a fan, which is why we do these specials because I see so many people, they just want to blab, 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 and it's not really, they don't want to be constructive. They kind of want to be like, it's awesome. Well, no, why is it you, awesome? You grab one that's very special to me. That's the thing. Phantasm is a is a big yes. thing to me. It's very special to me. So I've spent so much time inside it that it's like, yeah, I love getting to talk about this particular series and these people and, and all of that stuff. And what it means as a whole, other than just it's badass. I know it's mm -hmm. badass. Why is it badass? Yes, yes. Talk, talk like a spokesperson. Don't talk like a wrestler. <laughs> Right, right. It's talk about what it means to you. What it, what it you know why it's awesome. So just we're not think hard. You don't have to just right where you are not advertising, and you don't have to use just I don't know random adjectives that come to your head. Just think, think on it. No, drink I, on it. Eat on it. <laughs> sleep on it. And that's really the thing in I think this digital social age that I am more likely absolutely to something that 
some people that I trust, some source that I trust has really talked about and loved and liked for these reasons, this reason, this, this, and this, than I am to just trust the commercial that's grabbed the five best books. Yeah, digital, we have so much to embrace. We have new technology to use. We don't have to worry about all this AI stuff that they're having writer strikes over. I mean, I've fallen back in love with radio again to where I'll, all I talk to is local radio people. Mm. And I love how they embrace it versus the internet people embrace it. And it's also cool to see that audio dramas are just becoming a thing again. Everybody's trying their own thing, whether it's a fan-made thing of an existing property or an original work. Yeah, as yes. somebody who grew up on the Green Hornet and The Shadow, yeah, audio dramas is a big thing. Yeah, you just remind people back when imagination was real. <laughs> <laughs> I love how Colin Baker will talk about on the uh, Doctor Who audio dramas and the sets are incredible. And embracing what makes those gel in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, I look forward to these next two uh, next few collabs. Uh, <laughs> I'll keep you updated on what it posts. <laughs> Absolutely. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up review show.